This is the Darcy Jerome Podcast, episode 29. Today, my guest is Jayant Bandari, host of the Capitalism and Morality Seminar in Vancouver. Today, we're going to be talking about wokeism, immigration, and democracy. Jayant Bandari, welcome to the Darcy Jerome Podcast. How are things? Um, I'm very well, uh, and thanks for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. I've been, I've followed you for a long time. I haven't made it to the Capitalism and Morality Conference, but I've uh, I've spent a lot of time watching archived videos of the speakers and stuff you've had, uh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I guess I'd like to give you the opportunity to, to uh, introduce yourself to the listeners. Well, I I work as uh, an analyst. Uh, I help uh, certain uh, institutional investors on investing in the stock market or also in uh, private companies uh, and uh, primarily in the junior mining sector. Uh, but also I help them invest in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, the London Stock Exchange, the Australian Stock Exchange, uh, not only in the junior mining sector, but outside that sector as well. So that's what I do for a living. I invest my own money uh, and uh, I uh, also do a fair bit of writing and speaking on cultural and political uh, matters. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's... Uh... That's why I wanted to have you on, um, but I guess since a, a lot of the listeners will be, um, you know, interested in gold and mining, um, so can you give us a bit of your outlook on, uh, you know, the near to medium range uh, for gold and I guess in particular junior junior mining stocks? The, the key aspect is that uh, the world today is run by very naive people. We have uh, people like Justin Trudeau running Canada. We have Kamala Harris and Biden running the U.S. And uh, we have very similar kind of people running the Western world. Um, now, the Western world was behind keeping stability around the world as well. And because Western world is now run by naive uh, and relatively stupid people, uh, the world has become very unstable. Uh, it has become socially and politically very unstable. And this uh, this problem will increase going forward. Um, so what you want to have your net worth is in uh, something that you can manage yourself, that is something that is in your direct control. Uh, and that is where gold becomes a very important part of your portfolio. Um, you, of course, want to diversify yourself internationally. You want to do a lot of things uh, in trying to preserve your wealth and you will lose some, you will gain somewhere else, uh, but gold becomes an important part of a portfolio of uh, an average guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then as far as the the junior mining stocks, I mean, I, to me, the the outlook on, on gold is very good considering the amount of money they're printing and and anyone who's familiar with, uh, you know, um, the Austrian school of economics will have a, a good handle on that. Um, 
but as far as, as as junior mining stocks and mining stocks in general, I mean, it has been um, a roller coaster for a long time. I mean, they they did kind of pop up recently and are seem to be stagnating and and down a little bit from their highs. Um, so, what are your thoughts on that? Well, firstly, uh, it is completely erroneous in my view to conflate. Um, commodities with mining companies. These are two completely different things and you should not try to conflate the two things. You can have a view on gold and you could still be investing in gold mining companies, but when you invest in gold mining companies, it should not be for gold. That should only be because you are looking at that company as an in, as a business, not as gold. A lot of people conflate the two things, the end result of which is that uh, GDX, GDXJ, and Junior Mining uh, Index uh, tends to underperform the undermining, uh, under pinning uh, commodities, which is very ironical. You can look at uh, the ETFs on the mining, uh, ET, mining ETFs and the underpinning commodities and compare it over a range of uh, time periods. And you will realize that you lose money in the mining sector compared to the commodities. And the reason is that a lot of people invest in the stock market and specifically in the junior mining sector uh, without really understanding where they are putting their money into. Um, I am uh, looking at a company that is being pumped right now. Uh, they are a company of, uh, they, they have nothing in them. They just raised about $8 million and they are being pumped right now and it's trading at uh, close to $100 million today. Uh, it has gone up about 300%, 200%. And I'm thinking, who are these suckers who are buying that stock? Uh, my suggestion always is be very careful what you invest in. Uh, understand why you are investing, understand your motivation, and always understand what is the worst case scenario, because the last thing you want to do is to lose money. Absolutely. Okay. Very, very good advice. I was watching some of the videos from your Capitalism and Morality Conference, which takes place in Vancouver every year. Um, in particular, I enjoyed this uh, the talk you gave on wokeism and how it's affecting, uh, you know, culture, politics, how it's uh, leading to a type of deterioration of, you know, our our society in the West. So, could you give us an overview of that? talk that you gave? Uh, yes. Uh, so, uh, f uh, you know, wokeism has become a predominant uh, factor in the Western society today, particularly in the sense that the institutions have come to be con in control of the woke people. Um, it it's a certain kind of people who work go to work for the governments and uh, good people, good, smart, intelligent, morally conscious people have been sidelined in the West. They no longer have control over the institutions in the West. Uh, now, wokeism is uh, actually nothing new. Wokeism is, uh, if you try to interact with a woke person, you really understand that woke people are no different from people of the third world uh, countries. Uh, wokeism is a third world culture. Uh, and that is why I tend to call them 
um, uh, feral people. They, uh, you become woke when you give up civilizational constraints or you lose an understanding of how um, wisdom and uh, wealth is created. Uh, and that is when uh, you become a woke person who thinks that um, uh, 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 the fruit of civilization uh, exists in nature and that uh, you should be, uh, they, they assume that hospitals are there as a given or roads as a given and all governments have to do is to print money and give away to poor people and richness would follow. So there are very erroneous uh, 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 thinking aspects that emerge among the woke people and that is a result of the civilizational constraints within their minds falling apart mm-hmm. yeah so i i guess I, i'd like to drill down into that a bit deeper i don't really know where to start um i guess one one thing would be where do you see this like where is the where is this woke culture coming from like how does it originate here you know to the to the extent that it has that sort of impact on a country like Canada or the United States well uh, wokeism is nothing but entropy that when you keep stop fighting for civilization when you stop putting effort to build a civilization, uh, civilization will fall apart. Uh, Wokeism will kick in because that's the natural state of existence. Forest is the natural state of existence. Um, third class, uh, third world uh, cultures is, is a natural state of humanity. You have to make an effort to build a civilization. Um, what has happened over the last, uh, I would say, uh, 100 years is that uh, the Western civilization has uh, likely become increasingly lazy. Um, a lot of people understand what is happening, but they don't want to fight to pres- to stop the decay of these cultures because they get cancelled and they are worried about getting cancelled more than uh, they worry about protecting their civilization. Uh, what else has happened is that we are importing a massive amount of uh, number of people from the third world uh, cultures. And it is not easy to give up your third world way of thinking. Now, uh, as you know, in Canada, Canadian government is actually ramping up uh, impo- uh, I- immigration of um, uh, people from outside Canada. Uh, uh, which uh, now they this I recently read they want to bring in about half a million new people to the country. Now that's an absolutely crazy number. Uh, these people don't change their ways of thinking, and then their thinking starts influencing the politics of um, uh, of Canada, and they eventually start influencing the uh, the way the institutions in Canada work. And also remember that the third world people tend to want to work for the government more than they want to work for the private sector. So uh, to experiment with that, you have to, you can go to any government or city hall office in your city and you will realize that those offices have a much higher number of people who are immigrants because you can understand that by the 
by the way they speak English or French. So, uh, you know, at least two aspects I can think of right away. Uh, what you do see is that uh, East Asian countries have uh, not decayed, not degenerated the way uh, Western society has. And the reason is that uh, they have kept themselves uh, very homogeneous. Uh, Western countries have uh, basically been on a suicidal path by importing uh, hundreds of, mil you know, millions of people from the third world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and it, I always find it interesting too, because on the, it, they always hide uh, the reasons for immigration behind, behind this type of woke um, idea, right? Like there, it's a, they're they're trying to do something positive and politically correct is how these politicians try and sell it to people. Uh, when in reality, it I mean they're just looking. It seems to me like they're just looking for more uh, cattle for the the tax farm to keep, uh, you know, an economic system that seems unstable going. Uh, well, that is why we have this uh, term called do-gooders. Uh, if you uh, psychoanalyze do-gooders, you realize that they are very selfish, narcissistic people. They have no interest to do any good, except that they use that as the facade of uh, what they want to do. Uh, underneath their uh, facade is a very selfish, narcissistic intentions, uh, and they have no empathy or interest in uh, in other people yeah yeah for sure that uh, a good uh, a good description right there of our policy making class i think i guess that leads us to you know when we look at you know kind of this decline of culture and this decline of society and this you know these huge redistribution programs that the government's involved in um it it makes me think of the importance of uh conference like the one you hold in Vancouver, the Capitalism and Morality Conference. So could you first tell us a bit ab about the conference and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about, you know, why it is important and why it's important to build a community around uh, a way of thinking that is, that doesn't align with the, the current status quo. So I have been running this uh, seminar, a one-day seminar for the last 12 years, uh, and uh, I have held also one capitalism and morality seminar in Hong Kong over these days. Uh, but uh, primarily, it's focused in Vancouver, uh, and I wanted to have a forum where people could speak their mind about issues that they are no longer allowed to speak in the Western society. Um, I think it's extremely important to uh, protect the Western civilization, which is the only civilization, actually. Um, to the extent East Asia is a civilization, it is a civilization because they imported Western values into their societies. Uh, so given that Western civilization is the only thing that uh, distinguishes human beings from animals, it is extremely important to provide protect the values, the philosophy, uh, the ingredients that 
went into making a Western civilization. Um, and uh, that is the reason why I uh, invite his speakers to talk about uh, Western philosophy, to, uh, to challenge ourselves into thinking that uh, we might be becoming intellectually lazy and there is, uh, th this is the time to actually wake up and challenge this uh, low uh, intellectual, uh, intellectually low people lower class who are now actually in position of rulership uh, ruling in in the western society yeah yeah absolutely um how many people do you generally get at the seminar mm, approximately a hundred people every year a lot of people come from the u.s uh, uh i would say about uh uh uh, 30 to 40 people come from Vancouver and Vancouver Island areas, and then a lot, a lot of people come from Calgary and uh, Washington and Oregon, uh, and a lot of some people fly in from Florida and Singapore as well. All oh, right, on yeah. Well, you've had some fantastic speakers, some some friends of the Darcy Drill podcast. Uh, Walter Block is often a regular at your conference, uh, who's been on the show. Um, I know Tim Mowen was there uh, one year. Tim Mowen is uh, a regular on the show here. So um, I'm looking forward to getting out. I plan on getting out there next year. I believe you're holding it in September in 2023. Yes, it, uh, the next one will be on the 9th of September 2023 in downtown Vancouver in British Columbia. Uh, and uh, Maxime Bonier will be a speaker at the conference. Uh, Dr. Amy Wax will be a speaker at the conference. Uh, so uh, there are about eight to 10 speakers and uh, they tend, this tends to open up a lot of minds. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, Max, I've had Max on the show. I actually used to work for Max at one point, so know, know him a little bit. I want to touch on something you mentioned. Um, you refer to some of these third world places as feral societies, which is an interesting term I hadn't heard before. Uh, can you explain that to us? Uh, well, so what actually happened is that the Third World was given civilizational constraints by European colonizers, and this was a God's gift to the people of the Third World. Uh, the third, you know, every evidence is that people of Sub-Saharan Africa or uh, of or, or of Americas or of Australia or of uh, South uh, Asia, South uh, Asia. Uh, would uh, not have had roads, uh, never thought about the concept of railways or post office or uh, any of the modern scientific or techn technological things that we think of as given. Uh, these people would still be uh, uh, wearing minimal to no clothes and eating uh, brains of uh, the enemies that they killed. Uh, so that's the kind of culture that the third world had before Europeans arrived in these uh, third world uh, places. And now Europeans were no saints, but, uh, you know, they were a significant, a very, very significant improvement on uh, where they arrived. Um, they left, when they left uh, the third world, they left... Uh, uh, relatively sound institutions. Uh, and uh, this is one of the very sad thing. And this is what you can see, let's, let's say when you go to Philadelphia or some of the towns in the Western societies that have, uh, that saw their best times in the past. 
Now, those places don't just look uh, like a forest. They look they look very gloomy because you can also see in that gloomy atmosphere is that there was some massive amount of prosperity in those places at one point of time. So what is happening in the third world is that uh, the European colonizers left sound institutions and those institutions are falling apart very rapidly. They have been falling apart for the last 70 to 80 years since the time the colonizers left those third world countries. And that gives these these, uh, societies a very feral atmosphere, a very gloomy atmosphere. These were the people who were provided civilization, but now they are reverting back to the forest. And that's uh, why I call them feral people. Uh, they will become eventually completely wild. Uh, you, You only have to wait for another maybe five to 10 years or maybe 20 years before uh, virtually every third world country will fall apart into tribal units and they will revert back to what they were before European colonizers came, which means that they will be, they will have consumed all the capital, they will have destroyed or burnt away everything that uh, uh, technology has provided them and they will be eventually killing their enemies and eating the brains of their enemies. And that's where we will come to. Now, I use that term because similar kind of people have come to rule the Western society and they have come to rule the Western society because of an extremely flawed concept of selecting your leaders, and that is democracy. The last thing you want to do is to hand over uh, the control of leadership to bread and circus masses, uh, irrespective of what kind of uh, uh, society one is. uh, The fact is that most of the people in any society are interested in bread and circuses and their evening beers and uh, their weekends and vacations. They are not interested in philosophy, and such people should never, ever have the right to vote. Uh, It is, uh, so democracy upends meritocracy, and by having this democratic system in the West and making it a religion, what we have done is that we have uh, uh, lifted bottom of the barrel, intellectually empty, uh, uh, psychopaths into positions of power in the Western society. Now, these people are still not very vicious because they are still a product of what used to be Western philosophy. Uh, so they are still not vicious people, uh, but uh, with every cycle of worsening, the people that will come to rule you will be worse and worse. So Darcy, you can go back 20 years. There's no way you could have imagined that uh, Justin Trudeau or the Australian prime minister would be able to implement the ruthless tyranny that they implemented during the COVID times. Mm -hmm. So what could not be imagined 20 years back now happens in the West uh, and uh, slowly And certainly this decay will ramp up because uh, now the Western world is increasingly moving towards uh, domination of uh, people from the third world and domination of the people who have very low intellectual capabilities. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think a lot of the listeners will be uh, familiar with Hans Hoppe's critiques on democracy, which I think lends a lot of credence to to what you're saying here. Um, and yeah, it always it always does a, it the. <laughs> It doesn't matter who seems to win these elections, and I think when you talk about these cycles of, uh, the you know the degenerating our society, I mean the election cycle is as good an example of any as that because it does always it's always the bottom fifty one percent that seems to come out on top, right? Uh, absolutely, and that is exactly why I say uh, democracy is an anti-meritocratic system because it ga- gives uh, weight to the bottom fifty-one percent rather than the top five yeah, percent yeah. of the people. Uh, and top bottom fifty-one percent of the people are emotional. They are not. They don't have uh, the the foresight to think through things properly. And as a result, they have a tendency to vote for emotional manipulators, people who look good in the now rather than people who do good for the future. And that is why this degeneration of the society is taking place. And uh, uh, Hans Hoppe does a fabulous job in his books, uh, in his conference in Turkey, and many of the articles that he has written in trying to explain how horrible democracy is. And I have to say, I gained confidence uh, about how bad democracy is after going through the material and the books of uh, Dr. Hans Hoppe. Uh, When I was growing up in India, Darcy, I realized that democracy was a horrible, horrible system. Uh, But uh, Dr. Hans Hoppe provides uh, an intellectual uh, structure to understand what is wrong with uh, democracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, India is an interesting case. Um, and I th- you have an interesting perspective, having left India. Um, and you refer to, to it as one of these feral societies. So would your experience be that after the, uh, uh, the, after the British left, was I mean, India has reverted um, to this feral society, but also it is, from what I understand, it is the largest democracy, so-called democracy on the planet, um, and democracy has contributed to that degeneration. Is that is that your view? Uh, well, absolutely. So, uh, uh, firstly, India is not just the biggest democracy on the planet. It's actually the most populated country on the planet today. Okay. Uh, sometime uh, this month, India will have superseded uh, China in uh, population. Uh, uh, so, uh, we should all be worried about it. Uh, one out of uh, six or one out of five people on the planet is an Indian. Uh, and now they are training centers in India to train people on on how to cross the Mexican border into the USA. Hmm. Uh, So uh, people should really start to understand what's happening in the third world countries. Uh, And quite rightly, uh, we don't really want to worry too much about what's happening in South Africa or what's happening in Sudan or Ethiopia or Somalia or in India. Uh, But uh, the problem is that those problems are going to start knocking at our doors very soon. 
uh, the what we currently have at the Mexican border is just just the indication of far worse things to come in the future. Uh, uh, when I was growing up, uh, uh, British was seen with respect. Uh, my granddad, my dad had a lot of respect for the British because they are not corruptible. You could not bribe those people. And they had this massive sense of fairness in them. They wanted to deliver justice and they would stay up to provide services to people that they were responsible for. Uh, so uh, a lot of these people were genuinely good people who really wanted to to do good to the local people. There were uh, missionaries, the Christian missionaries, who were uh, trying to spread education in the country. And the only, the whole of the infrastructure of education in India was set up by Christian missionaries, the Catholics. Now, we might have forgotten about it over the last 10, 20 years because the current regime in the, gov in the country has uh, propagandized people into perceiving everything through xenophobia, through their historical uh, superiority, uh, which is all fake because none of those things really existed. When British came to India, uh, it was a, a, a wild place. There was, uh, and in fact, before Islamic rulers came to India, India was even, was in even a worse shape. Uh, so, uh, uh, Europeans did a huge amount of work in trying to improve uh, India. Uh, they left solid institutions. They left institutions with checks and balances in the country. Uh, but the problem is that you can write the best constitution, you can create the best institutions, but you still have to have the people who will interpret the constitutions and the laws and run the institutions. Uh, so uh, what when British left, uh, the quality of the institutions and the quality of the people running those institutions continued to deteriorate. And now we have a prime minister of the country who is the first prime minister who was born in post-British India. Hmm. So he is a complete complete break from what I would say was uh, the, from the British rule. Uh, and now we have institutions rapidly falling apart. In fact, I would say that there is no institution in that country. The only thing that is keeping that company country going, uh, not falling apart into a complete chaos is uh, the envy and the fight between corrupt people who occupy different institutions and they have their uh, areas to protect. Uh, but apart from that, uh, the country has actually no institutions. Absolutely everything in India works on the basis of bribes and connections. There is no fairness. You uh, courts don't work. The police does not work. And if you go to report uh, that you got raped to the police, the police will likely rape you before they uh, do anything else. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I I follow you on Twitter, and I I see a lot of the stuff you share about what's going on in India. Um, and it it has been surprising to me, um, because it doesn't a lot of a lot of it doesn't look good. I guess. 
you know, the one thing I would say is now, as far as, you know, these types of feral societies immigrating into a place like Canada or the United States, um, my experience, and I think uh, statistically and demographically, Indian immigrants to Canada are one of the more uh, productive and successful groups of people that that uh, tend to come here. So, what do you? How do you explain that? Other than, is there a difference in within Indian culture that separates um, those types of people who would be successful here from those who aren't? Uh, well, firstly, uh, you know, one of the most uh, crime-prone parts of Canada is Surrey. Mm. Uh, and Surrey is the Indian majority part of uh, Canada. Uh, so, you know, a lot of your perception about any community will depend on your anecdotal experience. Uh, and if you live in a figuratively gated community of people uh, of European origin, your interactions with people from outside uh, the European origin people will be on a transactional basis in which uh, you might just face uh, a, a, a nice transactional uh, aspect. But you are, if you're not marrying with them, you don't have regular friends, if you don't do long-term business with them, you don't really understand their thinking. But also remember that uh, the people who immigrate are the best People from the country, they, they are the most entrepreneurial and most, uh, most of the warrior kind of people who leave uh, those hellholes. So you will get a better quality of people in the initial phase of immigration. Mm. But as immigration picks up, the quality of people will worsen with time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that that's the thing. You know, uh, Indians, uh, for example, in Pakistan have a relatively good reputation because these were the people who were all virtually all business kind of people who came to the UK from Uganda and Tanzania. Uh, and the people who, from Pakistan who came to the UK came from among the poorest and the most backward parts of uh, Pakistan. So you can have a good and bad image, but that is just because of your anecdotal experiences. Uh, my thinking is that you have to be very careful about bringing in people from the third world because once you bring them in, you create connections for more and more people to arrive into your country and then you will face a continual degradation of your society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that kind of brings us full circle to what you, we were talking about originally with with wokeism now and and you did touch on this i guess i'd just like to get a little more clear on how how we get to the conclusion of wokeism as we see it in canada like this politically correct thing this um i you know i don't even know how to explain it properly other than it when i hear people refer to themselves as woke they sound like crazies but um how how we get to the conclusion that this is a direct parallel with these third world countries i mean if we're talking about a uh you know an ethnically european canadian uh who is very left wing and very politically correct how how does that what is the parallel between that person and 
one of these unproductive people from uh, one of the these feral places that you refer to, like sub-Saharan Africa or parts of India? Uh, so firstly, uh, Darcy, I don't like calling woke people leftists. They okay. are not leftist people. Uh, and the reason is that uh, if these people were seen by Stalin, Stalin would have sent woke people to the gulag right away. Yeah. He would have culled them very quickly. Uh, these woke people are not leftists. Leftists were, uh, you know, even though the, they had an erroneous understanding of economics, they were, there was exploitation, there were uh, problems among poor people, and maybe they were fighting against entrenched interests in the ruling class. Uh, woke people are completely different. They want free stuff. They they are very lonely people because they don't have relationships. So they, they seek out this larger good, uh, the climate change or um, um, something to hide their loneliness in. Um, woke people are not balanced thinkers. They are emotional people. And that is where the crux of the issue is. These are not rational thinkers. Uh, they, You can actually convince them about any idea by using their emotions. Uh, because they don't have a rash, rational uh, uh, way of thinking, uh, they think in emotional terms. And when you start thinking in emotional terms, you have a tendency to lose your money and you have the tendency to be incapable of making correct decisions. Your decisions are completely dependent on the emotions of the moment. And that is exactly what you see in the third world countries. They are emotional operators. They are uh, amoral people. Uh, they can't decide between right and wrong. Woke people can't decide between right and wrong. It is all about their emotions. They can be, they can rationalize whatever they do, whatever they want to do, what do-gooders like to do in the Western society, uh, and they have no moral fabric within them. So they don't even can distinguish between right and wrong. They just do whatever is expedient and convenient for them at any moment of time. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the funny thing is that woke people love the people of the third world. And they love the people of the third world because they know there is a cultural uh, synergy between the woke people and the third world people. Okay. Well, you know, that, that's very interesting. I, I guess, in your opinion, what would be that common denominator that has the, the people of the third world and these woke people in the West – like what is the what would be the common denominator among them uh, given that they've you know been brought up in relatively different cultural surroundings and, and everything else but there has to be something that that drives people down that way of thinking a very low intelligence behavior uh, okay. so that is what the underpinning uh, you know uh, in terms of day-to-day -day operation, they might look very different. A woke person would be very well-dressed because he gets welfare from the government, whereas a person from the third world uh, only gets exploited by his government. So in the moment, they can look very different superficially, but they're 
their thinking structure is very different, very similar, sorry. Now, if you read uh, Adam Smith or Adam Ferguson, the two famous um, uh, Scottish philosophers, they t- they 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 made people aware of the fact that wealth in the West had a, carried the risk of making people intellectually lazy. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and the problem is that when you when uh, uh, when you flip a switch, there's heating in your house. When you open the tab, there's water in the tab. Uh, and so your life in Canada, in these very cold countries, have become very tropical in a way. And these people have uh, come to. Uh, not think about the future as much. Uh, they don't save enough money. They don't think about the future. Um, and uh, that is similar to people in the third world. Again, uh, I, for me, wokeism, chaosism, feralism, and the third world cultures are basically synonymous terms. Uh, they have a, a, a s- s- certain way of thinking and woke people can look all compassionate as long as they are subsidized by the productive elements in the Western society. But when these termite parasites, which is the woke people, have eaten away the productive capacities of the Western societies, the Western society will very rapidly become a third a third world society because uh, they will have eaten away, so they won't have the ways to look nice and compassionate and sophisticated anymore. Mm-hmm. And and then you will also realize that they will very rapidly become savages. Right. Uh, and this is they were they will become hedonistic and they will become savages. Uh, uh, when you look at a woke person in Calgary or Vancouver, you think, hey, this is just a nice, cute person, uh, but uh, he. That person is nice and cute only to the extent that he's getting subsidized by the ecology of the Western society, which is uh, Western civilization and the welfare system. Once those things fall apart, these woke people will take you to savagery. Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, I think we do see a lot of that uh, degeneration happening all around us. Um so when you mentioned earlier that uh, how you don't like to refer to the, the woke people as leftists, I think you make a very good point there. But then the question comes up, how did they, how did they manage to tie themselves to the, I, these classical ideas of Marxism and communism and whatnot? Well, uh, ask these woke people if they have ever read anything of Marx or uh, Keynes. Uh, they yeah. very likely have never read a paragraph of him. Um, all they communicate is in memes and sound bites. Uh, they have no capacity to read, uh, and uh, they 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 have just changed. Uh, you, they just use the icons of Marx uh, for uh, their. Uh, for their display, uh, you know the the two class, two Marxist countries, two communist countries uh, hate the woke people. They, in fact, you know the good thing about Russia and China today is that they are the two bulwarks against wokeism. They don't like this uh, craziness of uh, wokeism that's uh, uh, dominating the Western society. So, Marx, real Marxists. Uh, don't like woke people. And that is why I tend to say that in in the spectrum of political beliefs, uh, while Marxism is on the left, 
wokeism is on the far, far left, if you have to think that way, because uh, Marxists are not very sophisticated thinkers, but at least they get a few first order issues right. Yeah, yeah. I... Woke people, woke people get everything wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually remember you uh, you mentioning that now too. That the at least the communists were, would be able to manage their society for for a certain amount of time, but uh, these woke people would uh, revert to to uh, some sort of wild wild thing much faster. So, so remember that the third world countries of India and sub-Saharan Africa, which never became um, Marxist or communist, were always, uh, by, a, by a huge margin, poor mm-hmm. compared to the communist countries of those days. Um, so um, communism it would be a huge improvement on people of the third world because people of the third world operate only on the basis of emotions. When you at least create some kind of institutions, you get a few things right. And that's why communists were much better in providing institutional structures and economic progress to their people in China and in Russia compared to what happened in uh, the Indian subcontinent or what happened in sub-Saharan Africa. And in fact, I might might add that people of uh, Indian subcontinent and sub-Saharan Africa are actually incapable of becoming communist because they don't have the discipline of mind enough to become communist. You need to have a certain amount of wisdom and discipline of mind to become communistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, now... Some of the listeners will be will have listened to this whole conversation of ours and maybe not fully understand where yourself or myself are coming from on some of this because if if I'm correct, you consider yourself an anarcho capitalist as as do I. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So then if we look at the situation now and we look at um you know, these comparative uh, feral societies that have deteriorated over time. Um, and it's obvious the path that we're on right now, given the problems we have with wokeism and democracy. Um, do you see anything to be hopeful of, or like, do you see a path for us to achieve the type of civil society that that uh, that you and me would like to see? I mean, and I and I want to acknowledge here that some people consider it utopian. Um, from where I stand, the idea of a limited government uh, seems utopian. Like, because I don't see any way with democracy you're able to maintain that. But do you see? Do you see a path forward for for us to maybe just first get out of this mess and then into some sort of anarcho-capitalist or at least um, far more civil society than what we have right now? Okay, uh, so let me let me help you come to that response yourself. How th- there are about two hundred countries on the planet. Do you know of any country which has a majority of non-Europeans or non-Asians 
that you might consider to be a civilization? Um, you're non-Europeans or non-Asians. Yeah. Is there any country that that you might consider to be a civilization which is pop, which has a majority of non-Europeans or non-East Asians? Um, the answer is no. The yeah. answer is no. There's none. Okay. So firstly, once you lose European majority or East Asian majority, you lose civilization. Mm-hmm. And there's no going back on that. This attempt to civilize the world has been tried again and again. We have been trying this on 200 countries for the last two, 300 years. Yes. It does not work. The only time um, civilization civilizational progress can be made, which does not mean those societies can become civilization, but civilizational progress can be made if the institutions are in control of the natural elite of Europe, Northern Europe. That is or of natural elite of uh, East Asians. Otherwise, that society has no hope. Here is my problem, Darcy. the United States is very rapidly becoming a non-European majority country. Mm-hmm. Canada is extremely dependent on the U.S. If U.S. if the U.S. falls, Canada will fall. Mm-hmm. Europe has the same problem. And in fact, we are not even starting to think about culture. In fact, we are ramping up the cancel culture right now. So if you want to alert people about the cultural problems, they want to cancel you. People don't want to have a relationship with you. They don't want friendships with you. And they want to cancel you from from your professional life. So there is no sign of improvement. And even if you started working on improving the, the Western society today, you don't really have time left. But we are doing absolutely nothing to to change the course of this Titanic. The Titanic has already hit the iceberg and we are we have not started to reverse the engines as yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So so no so no good news. <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, the the thing is that uh, you know, I'm hopeful that the 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 North America will break into smaller countries and we will hopefully find areas of liberty eventually. But this will be a very painful process because uh, remember that uh, urban areas of um, everywhere in the world are far more leftist and far more woke than the rural areas are. Mm -hmm. So if you lose, uh, if you want to uh, separate woke areas from non-woke areas, you will have also detached yourself from technological progress. And this is the problem which which comforts and technology creates. It makes minds of people simplistic. Educated people tend to be more woke because they don't understand the comp- they they want they think that the math they can do on their paper is the only math that exists. They they become simplistic in their thinking, uh, and that is why educated people, urbanized people, have a much higher tendency to become woke. Now they might do all right in professional life, where you know what matters is whether you can operate the machine or you can operate uh, the computer. But they become linear thinkers, and uh, that is the problem today. And that is why I think it's hard to 
to see a good future in the Western society. The third world countries uh, will fall apart very rapidly. It is already falling apart, Darcy. The situation in the third world is extremely, extremely bad. Mm-hmm. Although the media will not talk about it. I was just reading this morning uh, that uh, one big uh, major American fund is investing in India because it's extremely optimistic about the future of the country. Now, there's absolutely nothing to be optimistic about India. So uh, I think I see a bad future for the Western society. I see a horrible, horrible situation already in the third world countries. Uh, one good area that is left out where which I am relatively hopeful of is East Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, countries like uh, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Singapore are wonderful places. They are very safe. They are very stable. Uh, there is not much of uh, welfare in those societies and people retain the concept of honor that they imported from the West in 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 the sense that they dislike asking for free money from other people, from the government or even from begging. Uh, if you go to Tokyo, you will see that the beggars actually don't sit in public. They, they segregate themselves because they are too shy about asking for uh, money from other people. So there's a still a culture of honor in the in East Asia. I, I think in the short and medium term, East Asia should do well. But here is the problem with East Asia. East Asia copied a lot of fruit of the Western society and actually improved on those fruit. Uh, it has remi- it has remained homogeneous, but it could not copy the philosophical f- aspect of the Western civilization. Uh, that philosoph- philosophical aspect takes several millennia to copy. So I'm not sure what that will mean once East Asia is uh, uh, detached from the philosophical spring that comes from the Western society. So they, uh, but in the medium term, I'm most optimistic about East Asia. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. Um, We only have a few minutes left, but I think, uh, so this episode will not come out until uh, the following Tuesday, but we are recording on uh, January 6th, uh, what they like to call Insurrection Day in the United States. I don't have a lot of strong feelings on this other than there were some hilarious uh, photos and memes to come out of what happened there. It, it, other than, I suppose, it is a good example of when a democracy and a kind of a bureaucratic class gets so powerful that, um, you know, the, people are that worried about protecting it from, you know, this other political party. Um, and in my mind, that only strengthens, like, your argument for secession, smaller states, that sort of thing. I don't know what kind of opinion you have on on the so-called insurrection that happened uh, in the, in, on January 6th, two years ago. Yeah, so I, I don't have enough understanding of the background. I don't have enough uh, data or information with me to judge whether this the elections were stolen or not. Mm-hmm. So I don't take sides on that. Um, if Trump were next to me, I don't know if I would like that guy. Yeah. But compared to everything else available in the U.S., Trump was a God's gift to, to the U.S. Uh, 
America was extremely lucky to get Trump given the circumstances, given the fact that we now have in the U.S. Uh, totally brain dead uh, people uh, uh, fighting for political power, people like, again, Kamala Harris, AOC, Biden, etc. So compared to them, Trump was a huge uh, good for the U.S. Uh, but even if Trump had won, the problem is that the trend that stays in motion continues to stay in motion. Wokeism is currently the fashion in the West, and this will continue to ramp up until it has exhausted the the nutrients it has as a parasite eaten away all the nutrients that it consumes. So um, even if Trump had won, he would have delayed degeneration of the West or perhaps slowed down the degeneration of the West by a few years. Uh, but the fact remains that the popular vote in the U.S. for I think a couple of decades has gone to the leftist parties. Uh, Canada is very leftist. The popular vote, I think about 65% goes to the left. If you add up the uh, the Liberal Party, NDP, the Quebecois and the Green Party, etc., etc. So the leftist, the popular vote is in favor of wokeism and this will uh, that is the major factor. That is the higher order factor uh, that will, uh, even if insurrection and Trump hadn't happened, there's nothing to stop the continual de degeneration of North America. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'd actually even comment that tr the Trump phenomena and the uh, the so-called insurrection thing, uh, also it em emboldened the, those woke people to a, a higher degree than they were before in some sense. Uh, absolutely. I mean, remember exactly during the same time, this uh, misnomer called, uh, you know, a, a very strange term that came into existence, Black Lives Matter, as if non-Black lives don't matter. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, this Black Lives Matter thing came up uh, and these guys were rioting all over the U.S. They burnt down city centers uh, in many parts. And I don't know if any of them got uh, uh, prosecuted for that. They they and, and you know, the, this is the worst thing that happened. Uh, nowhere in the human history has a criminal been elevated to a position of a deity. Mm -hmm. George Floyd was elevated to a position of sainthood. And that shows the moral bankruptcy of the woke people. They have no moral, moral values. Now, that does not mean I support the killing of the death of George Floyd. I don't know, again, the details behind it. But the fact is that he was a horrible guy and there was absolutely no reason to elevate him to a position of sainthood, which woke people have done. So that also tells you how degenerate uh, large segments of the underclass of the U.S. has become. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Jayant, uh, we're out of time. I'd like to just give you one last chance to tell the listeners uh, where they can find you and follow you and all that sort of stuff. 
Well, I, as you rightly mentioned, I run a seminar in Vancouver every year. The next one is on the 9th of September, 2023, downtown Vancouver. It's called Capitalism and Morality. And there's a tab on my website, uh, Capitalism and Morality, on which you can uh, watch all the past videos of all the speeches given at seminars. And you can also register for next year's seminar. My website is uh, jayantbhandari.com and uh, everything that I do goes on that website. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Well, thanks so much for coming on, sir. This was a really good conversation. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. That was Jayant Bandari, who hosts the Capitalism and Morality Seminar in Vancouver, BC. You can find him at jayantbandari.com. And if you like the Darcy Jarrell podcast, subscribe on Substack. 